0: Good morning. morning. On this birthday (coughs) of this country, I'd like to read (coughs) the Declaration of Independence. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people that all men are created equal, <clears throat> that they are endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, receiving, uh, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, Events a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future, future security. <clears throat> such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appearing to the Supreme Judge of the world, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions do, in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that, as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Thank you.
1: So July 4th, 1776, this was signed by 56 of the founding fathers and at the end there they wrote that they were willing to give up all that they had, and they ended up losing all that they had. And so this morning, as we consider, we're celebrating the 4th of July. Uh, there's fireworks, there's picnics, there's hot dogs, uh, but at the end of the day, we're really celebrating freedom freedom from tyranny. Um, we, the, we cut out a third of the Declaration of Independence because it was a long list of of tyrannical uh, over bound, overstepping boundaries here in the United States by England. They were putting all of these restrictions and they were doing all of these things that were unjust to the, to the colonies here in the United States. And so they had come to a point where they understood it was their obligation to declare independence from Great Britain. And so today we celebrate that. We're starting a new series called The Top Ten. Um, and as we enter the Olympic season this is a very patriotic time we consider our nation we consider the blessings God has given us and so as we look at that I think about uh, all those athletes that have been training their whole lives so that they can be successful this summer the Olympics and as Christians we have been given 10 things 10 principles 10 statements by God that if we apply them we will be successful in the race that God gives us and so we're going to look at those over the next few weeks for the month of July we're going to look at the top 10 things we can do to prepare ourselves and to be engaged properly in this life and so I'm excited and here's the thing Um, these are for you And they're also for people that you know So that you can teach them these things So that they also can live successful lives They can live lives that God intended them to live And if you don't feel comfortable teaching them these principles I would encourage you to bring those people to church with you on Sunday So that they can learn these Because these are so vitally important Uh, Ten things that God has given us directly On how we're to live our lives And how we're to be uh, faithful and obedient To what God has given us as people There are two questions that I bring up regularly two questions we all have to answer one what do we do with Jesus what have you done with Jesus is he your Lord and Savior have you confessed and believed that he is the only way that he is your Lord and that he is directing your life and the second question is what are you doing with the life that he has given you how are you living that out now How are you being faithful and obedient in what God has given you? And so these are those keys. How do you live it out? These are the keys we're going to talk about. But today, as we consider first the 4th of July, um, I know that there are people that take almost three or four months worth of their uh, income and spend it on fireworks. And I think about that the last couple nights. How many of you have had booms and bangs outside your house? How many of you really do not enjoy that? How many of you really do enjoy that? How many of you will never raise your hand no matter what I ask? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't help but think, I can't help but think that, you know, hearing the booms and the, and the you know, the firecrackers that they said, we, we did a trivia yesterday that they started doing that the year after the declaration was, was signed. I, I can't help but imagine they're thinking the war started again. Right? And that it's, a, that it's a scary thing to think. That we celebrate with those noises, but those same similar noises were the battles where people lost their lives so that we could have this independence. The sacrifice of people's lives was what was at stake um, for many years in our country's revolution. And so we need to be thankful to those people, thankful to God that even though it didn't look like the colonies should be able to take great the great British army, that God was uh, sovereign and he allowed us to become an independent nation. And I think there's two things we need to recognize that are so valuable in that. The reasons we should love America, the reasons we should thank God for America every day. One is because we can do what we're doing right now. We can freely gather, declare the name of Jesus, read his words without being censored, that we're not going to go to jail because we're in this room right now. We need to be absolutely thankful to God and thankful to those soldiers that fought for this, that we have the freedom to be in this room, we have the freedom to worship God, and we have the freedom to declare that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through Christ. We have that right, and we need to be celebrating that today. And the other thing that I think is so valuable so important for us to Christians to always recognize is we have the right to share that. We have the right to share that with our neighbors. We have the right to share that with the people that we interact with. And so I would encourage you as we celebrate the 4th of July and we celebrate this great nation that God has sovereignly allowed to exist, that we recognize the two most important things is that we love God and we share this good news with others because of the freedoms that we have. Just a side note, when I was growing up, we used to, I had friends that would get all these fireworks, and uh, uh, I had a friend who lived near the quarries, and we'd go over there, and uh, one of my friends said, I wonder what it would be like if we threw this aerosol can into a fire. Horrible ideas, young men have. Um, And so we all kind of hid, you know, behind all these things, and I had a friend named Chris, and he hid, and literally, he got behind a tree, and there was a gap The same width of the aerosol can. A gap that he was watching through. And uh, my friend threw the aerosol can in. And it was probably at least 10 yards away from the fire. And that aerosol can flew through the air. Right through that gap and hit him right in the forehead. And we said, God is trying to teach us a lesson. (laughs) There is no way you could do that. Even if you tried to do that, there is no way. And so we need to be praying tonight. For all those people that are going to be setting off all these crazy fireworks, um, hopefully uh, nothing dangerous and we don't have any disasters. But we are thankful that God does protect us and we're thankful that we're part of this nation. And so today as we study God's word and we came here to hear from him, um, we have been given freedom. We've been given freedom and what a blessing and what a gift that is. And so my question as we look to God's word is what are we going to do with that freedom? What are we going to do with our freedom? You know, those signers of the Declaration of Independence, they went in there knowing they were going to lose everything. They went in there. They knew what was at stake. All 56 knew what was at stake. And, you know, we have a similar number of people in this room, and we look about that 56, that group of people, has, ra- has revolutionized the world. The world is different today because of the commitment they had to sacrifice everything to do what was right, sacrifice everything to put their lives on the line so that for the future, it could be a better place. And this morning, are we willing to make that kind of commitment? Are we willing to sacrifice everything? Would we, would we be obedient to whatever God called us to do as a church? that whatever sacrifice he asked us, would we be willing to do that? I believe that God has great plans for us as a body. I believe that God is going to do great things with you individually and then us as a corporate family. And I think he's teaching us every day what it is that it, that sacrifice takes. What does it mean to live in our freedom, to live in that truth? And so we're going to look into that this morning as we dive into God's word and we're going to see what he has to say to us. So let's precede that with prayer. Father God, you are worthy of our praise. You are holy and just, you are righteous. And Lord, we are so thankful that Lord, you allowed this nation to come into existence that it was birthed 244 years ago, And, Lord, we're thankful that you have continued to keep us a free nation where we can worship you freely and we can share you freely. Lord, we know the enemy is on the move. We know that there is an attack. We know, Lord, that there is a desire to to undercut what is happening here and and to make this illegal and to push your your people underground and into places uh, of trial. And, Lord, we ask that you would protect us. We ask that you would guide us. And Lord, we ask that just like um, those who signed the declaration, that we would have a spirit of bravery, that we would have a sense that what we're involved with is much bigger than us, that we would have a sense of a better future for our children and for their children. And Lord, I pray that you would bless your words, help us to understand them, and help us to (coughs) allow them to empower us to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're going to be looking at what that first uh, kind of statement God makes to us on how we can be healthy, how we can prepare ourselves for the race that God gives us. But before we go there, we really have to get the backstory or the context of of why we have these truths. How did we get here? Where did they come from? And as you look at scripture, as you look at there's 66 books written over 1,400 years by over 40 different authors. And you have kings and you have shepherds that are recording information that we read, that was inspired by God for us to understand where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. And this morning, as we contemplate and consider what is recorded in the in the 66 books, we look back and we see the creation of man, Adam and Eve. We see the fall of man with sin and Satan. We see uh, Noah's ark and, and God looking at the world and saying, everyone's thoughts are evil continuously. And I have to do something about this and how he redeems one family and restart starts all over. And through Noah, uh, his descendants, there's a man named Abram that he uh, builds a deep friend with And, and Abram puts his faith in God and God changes his name to Abraham, the father of many nations. And Abraham has a child, Isaac, who has a child, Jacob. And one of Jacob's sons is named Joseph. And, and during the life of Joseph, uh, there was a great famine. And as you know the story, Joseph had been in prison, but then he could interpret dreams. So he was brought before the Pharaoh and he interpreted the Pharaoh's dream. So the Pharaoh put him in charge. Of the half of the kingdom of Egypt, which was one of the most powerful nations at that time. And so they, uh, he brings his family to a place in Egypt where there is food and there is safety, and, and Joseph is in a high level, uh, and there, God's sovereign power has given him um, some influence, has given him a place of prestige within the Egyptian Empire. But we're told over about a 400-year, 430-year period that that dissolves and goes away and new leadership comes up into Egypt and that the new Egyptian leadership enslaves the Hebrew people. And it's an interesting reflection as we consider our nation, we're 244 years today, that we were started with God's favor. We were started with winning victories we weren't supposed to win. And we had God's favor, and God was in our schools, and God was in our homes, and the Judeo-Christian values were part of our foundation. And over time, that's eroded. And now God is no longer invited in. He's not invited into our government. He's not invited into our schools. He's not invited into our homes. And just the same kind of process that happened in in Joseph's time, where over time it flips, it goes from a a place of authority, a place uh, where you're respected, to a place of, of really being cast to the side and marginalized. And so over these 430 years, the people, the Hebrew people, begin to cry out to the Lord. We need to be. We need to be saved. We need to be released. We are slaves to the Egyptians, and, and they are tyrants, and they are they are misusing us, and they are abusing us. And so God hears their cries, and there, as you know, the story of Moses, who's found in by in the Nile, in his reed basket, and, and he grows up. And he runs, if you remember, he runs because he murders one of the Egyptians. And then later God calls him back to be the one who's to free the people. And as he returns and as God does these miracles and releases the people, now they begin their journey back to the promised land. And as they're on that journey, God, Moses has this interaction with God on Mount Sinai where God gives him the Ten Commandments. And many of you are familiar with this. If you want to go to the next slide. Next slide. You've seen this movie, Charlton Heston, Let My People Go. These are the Ten Commandments. Now, the Hebrew isn't really translated commandments. It's translated statements. These are the Ten Statements of God. And so this is where now today, as we bring it full circle and see the context, this is God revealing to us what he intends for us to know about life. What he intends us to understand about life and to teach these things to the children, to teach these things to the people we have influence over, that we would know what is God's expectation. I believe it's very important that we you and I understand there are three types of law in the Bible. There are three types of law. There is the the law of the, the ceremonial law, which was given to the priests, there's civil law, which was given to the Hebrews. And then there's moral law that was given to all mankind. Now, as you look at the civil law and you look at the ceremonial law, the Pharisees established 613 laws that were encompassed in all of this. So there was a lot of laws to obey. But God's law, his eternal law, is a moral law. It's an absolute law. It doesn't change. It doesn't, it doesn't uh Uh, Adapt to the culture in which it's in. And so as we look at this, we need to understand two very important things about the law. First, the law reveals our sin. The purpose of the law is to reveal our sin. Romans 7, 7 says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And so interestingly enough, one of the reasons God gave us the Ten Statements or the Ten Commandments is so that we knew we were messing up, right? He gave it to us so that we understood, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all figured out. I have a messy life and I have messy stuff going on in my life. I'm not living the way I'm supposed to be living. And so the initial reason for God giving these statements to his people was for them to understand their sinfulness, for us to understand we're broken people. Why is it so essentially important for us to understand we're broken? Why is it so essentially for us to understand we're sinners? Because if we don't think we're broken and we don't think we're sinners, why do we need a Savior? Why do we need to be cleaned? Why do we need to be brought right with God if there's nothing wrong with us? You know, we live in a world where we always look around and say, well, I'm better than them. I'm not as bad as them. I haven't done anything really all that bad. And God says, no, my standard is perfection. My standard is absolute. And you are far from my standard. Every single one. The best of you, the best of you is far from me. And Paul is writing this. He's saying, look, I didn't really understand what sin meant until God gave the law. But in that, he demonstrates grace. Grace and the law, Romans 7, 4 through 6 says, So my brothers and sisters, oh, sorry, Acts 13, 38, Therefore, my my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So here, in the book of acts we're told that we have been set free from that law not set free from it in the sense that we no longer have to consider it set free in the sense that we are forgiven of our breaking of it you and i are free we do not need to live in guilt guilt is something uh, initially given to us so that we would move in the right direction we're not to live in guilt we're not to live in shame Many Christians, unfortunately, they hear about the law, they hear about sin, and then they live in the guilt and shame of knowing, I'm messed up, I'm a sinner. And they stay there, and we're never intended to stay there. We're never intended to stay in that area of guilt. We are to have victory in life. We are to have courage in life. We are to have an assurance in life that God has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We are no longer condemned. If you sense this morning that you are condemned, that is not from God. He has set you free. The enemy wants to accuse you. The enemy wants to tell you that you're still under the law. You've, on, you've broken the law. You'll never be good enough. God will never love you. You've done too many bad things. You can never be right with him. Those are the words of the enemy. God says, I have separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. I no longer judge you. I judge my son in your place. We are cleansed from all of it. We are cleaned. And so the law once reveals our sin. It also reveals the love that God has for us. That while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us and paid for the punishment of us breaking the law. And so we see in Romans 7, 4 through 6, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit of God. For when you were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work within us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in a new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. If you've been with us before, you know, as I come to the end of every message, I ask you, are you twice born? Because there is a spiritual birth that must occur for you to be right with God. There is a spiritual birth that must occur for you to enter God's kingdom. There is a spiritual birth that must occur for you to be freed from the law. It is a spiritual thing. It is not you saying, I'm going to be good from here on out. It's not you pulling up your bootstraps and saying, I'm going to stop lying. I'm going to stop swearing. I'm going to stop cheating. I'm going to start being right. That's not how it works. It's it's being born of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit of God producing fruit in your life that you can't produce on your own. We work so hard sometimes in our lives to be right when the reality is God is saying, you need to give over everything to me. So I can produce the fruit in you. It's holy. It is spiritual. And when it happens, you have great victory. You see, before, you're in the flesh. And the flesh controls you. Your thoughts are fleshly. Your ways are fleshly. And as we look at the world, we see this every day. The world around us lives by the code of the flesh. Why do we have advertising that that uses all these different forms of, hey, you need to buy this because it'll make your flesh better. It'll make you look better, younger, happier. It'll give you exactly what you want. The world is, is always working in the flesh, and the flesh always leads to death. Well, the Spirit of God is in life. And it produces fruit that is eternal. And it's fruit that changes lives. It's fruit that impacts your children. It's fruit that impacts your children's children. It's fruit that impacts your co-workers and those in your life that God has put there for you to be an influence over. And so we're to claim this and to recognize this. And so we have been freed to produce spiritual fruit. Do you recognize right now, God freed you so that you can produce spiritual fruit. And that fruit can be spread to those around you. Your purpose in life is to come to Christ and then to live for Christ. And in doing so, you make a dramatic impact in the world around you. You see, those gentlemen that signed the Declaration of Independence made a dramatic impact in the world. But you know, you and I can make an even greater impact than even them. We can make an impact that is spiritual and eternal in nature. And so it begins with us humbling ourselves and asking the Lord to come into us and to refresh us and to use us the way he wants. What does Jesus say about the law? Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. You know, in Christ, the law is fulfilled. The law is complete, not in us. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappears, not a smallest letter nor the single stroke of a pen will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so the question becomes, we can't live into the law. How do we obey it? We obey it by obeying Christ, by allowing him to lead us and to guide us. And so all of that gets us to our passage for today. Number one. What is the number one thing if we want to, uh, the top ten things God wants us to know, the top ten things God wants us to apply to our lives. And if you think about it, this is the first thing as an athlete would say, I can't, you know, I can't uh, drink or smoke, i got to get good sleep, i got to practice every day. If I'm going to be successful, here are the things I have to apply to my life. These are those things for the Christian. These are the things we apply to our lives that God uses in us to grow us and mature us. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord you, your God who brought you out of Egypt, Egypt out of the land of slavery. You shall what? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. First, we see that we are his. He has bought us with a price. He saved them from Egypt. He saves us from sin. So he is established. He is a loving, caring, sacrificial God. He has paid for us. And now for us to be healthy and to live for him, we are to put him first. What does that mean? What does it mean to have no other gods before him? It's a really simple question. Is God number one in your life? Is God number one in your life? When you think about your money, is God number one? When you think about the people that are in your life, when you think about how you treat your your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, is God number one. When you think about how you spend your time, is God number one. When you think about how you live out your life, every single area, every facet of your life, is God number one. This is such a powerful message. This is a powerful statement from God. Because here's the reality. If God's number one, then it's destined for failure. Amen? If God is not number one in any area of our life, that area is destined for failure. If my relationships with others, if I'm number one, it's destined for failure. If money is number one, it's destined for failure. If pride is number one, it is destined for failure. Even if good things are number one, I want to be nice and kind, it's destined for failure. Only when God is number one will it be successful. Only when God is at the center of it will it be successful. Many times when uh, I'll do a wedding, the first thing we'll do when we sit down and talk is say, look, if God isn't at the center of your wedding, it will not be successful. If God isn't at the center of your marriage, it will not be successful. The success is completely completely aligned with God's priority in it. Why is that so? Why is that so? Because when God is first, I know what God expects of me. God expects me to be patient. God expects me to be kind. God expects me to be humble. God expects me to have long-suffering. God expects me to be self-controlled. God has a high priority. God makes it very clear what his expectations are for us. And so when we look to him as the point of reference, when we look to him and say, all right, how do I interact with this? He makes it very clear. I can't take that shortcut. I can't tell that lie. I can't steal. I can't abuse. I can't misuse. I can't be unjust. If he's number one in your life, you're on your road to finishing your race successfully. If he's not number one in your life, it will not be successful. And so how do we do this? How do we live this out? What will we do with our freedom? Application, number one. Remember Oh, remind yourself there's only one God, and I'm not him. Right? I have to remind myself of this all the time. How does this play out in life? Here's how it plays out in life. Why do they do that all the time? Why can't they be the way I want them to be? Why can't this be the way I want it to be? Why has that got to be that way? Why can't I control this? Why can't I control that? whenever we have that attitude, whenever we approach life with why is it not the way I think it should be, we're coming and saying, I am number one. I am first. Instead of, God, what do you want this to be? God, how do you want this to be? Number two, God is the authority over all things. Do we trust that? You see, it Part of the reason we don't put God first is we don't believe that he is right and good. We may not say that out loud, but the truth is we may think we have a better way. We may think there's a better route. And so we don't give him the authority because we don't know if by giving him the authority it will work out the way we want it to work out. That God calls us and he says, faith is putting your complete trust in me. Is he the authority in your life? Is the authority, have you recognized him as the authority of all things? Thirdly, recognizing that morality is not subjective. Morality is not subjective. We live in a world just by chance that believes the exact opposite of what God teaches. They say morality, you be you, you believe. As long as it doesn't hurt me, then that you're right is you're right and you're wrong is you're wrong. As long as it doesn't hurt me, that's Okay. We live in a world where it's subjective. Everyone gets to decide. We are all little gods, and we all create our own little universes, and we all determine what is moral and not moral. And God says, no, there is only one God. There's only one morality, and it is not subjective. I am the author of it. And then finally, I think this is so valuable and so important. If you apply this, if you teach this, everyone wins by putting God first. Everyone wins by putting God first. Does our nation win when we ask God to leave? Do our schools win when they ask God to leave? Do our colleges win when they ask God to leave? Do our families win when they ask God to leave? Do the husbands win when they ask God to leave? Do the children win when they ask God to leave? It's an easy answer. We all know it. But the reality is, everyone wins when God is first. Everyone wins. Every marriage, every child, every situation, every nation, every town, every school. If He is the absolute authority, He will win. And we all will win with Him if we put Him first. This is a major issue. This is the issue that those signers of the Declaration of Independence came upon. And they said, things are not right. This is not right. What our nation is doing is not right. And I'm willing to sacrifice all that I am and all that I have so that we get right. And do you know what our nation needs to do today? It needs to invite the God of the Bible back into first place. Right? Back to first place. A pluralistic society will not last. Do you know the Romans have about 200 more years than we have right now? The Greeks, they, they have a little more than we have. We are not guaranteed infinite as a society. Especially if we ask God to leave. We get what we see. You reap what you sow. But you know, it's an amazing opportunity for you and I to be light and to be salt. Am I willing to lose everything to put God first? Am I willing to put my name on a piece of paper and say, whatever you do with it, so be it, because God needs to be first? Are you willing to do that? Are we willing to do that? It doesn't take an army. It takes 12 and that 12 starts with one, you and I. Are you twice born? Do you know that you're saved? John, 1 John five thirteen. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You have absolute faith and trust, knowing where you will go. What is God telling you? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. What is God saying to you now? You know, we have no future without the death, burial, and resurrection.